Good morning, everyone. If you're still in the uh, foyer, would you want to come through, take a seat, and uh, we'll get started in a few moments' time. Um, if you're new, a special one, welcome. Welcome to Hall Vineyard Church. Um, there's, there'll be details if you're new um, after worship uh, around how you can get involved in plugging into the church. Especially special one, welcome if you're joining us online as well. Welcome. Um, we're just going to start with some song worship, so if you would like to stand, um, and then uh, we will pray and get started. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, would you come and dwell amongst us now? Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah, Lord, we give you all the honor, praise, and glory this morning. Would you come and have your way, Lord? Yeah. 
Yes, 
Good morning, everyone. Uh, Sorry, I'm supposed to do notices, but that last song has just absolutely ruined me. (laughs) Such a sweet song. We had that at the uh, men's night this week, and it's just, I think it just carries the heart of God at the moment for a lot. Um, I'm just going to quickly pray just before I give you all the news of the day. (laughs) Father, I thank you for your presence here with us now, and I just pray that as we go through the service today that you'd increase that upon us all. Lord, we pray to see healing and change in our lives. We pray that, God, you would be at this center of everything we do today and the week ahead. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, I will do my best to get through this without falling over. So, um, 
So yes, yeah, so first of all, if you are new here, a very, very warm welcome to you. Uh, we, uh, it's great to see you. And I know there are a lot of new faces in the room, at least I haven't necessarily met you before. So I'd love to meet you. So please come along and say hello. And if, if you don't want to say hello to me, say hello to one of the guys with the lanyards on. Um, they're really, really lovely people. Uh, and we would love you to just connect with us. You know, we want to get to know you. We want this to be your home as much as it is ours. And there's ways you can do that. And the first one is to text the number behind me on the uh, screen there, which is, I think, 60777. Uh, and if you, if you do that, we'll send you loads of information about the church and, um, and reach out to you and invite you to a few things just so you can get to know what we're all about. Um, you can also fill in a black form here, a little black postcard with your name and contact details and hand that to one of the welcome team. And, and then the, just like we do with the text message, somebody will be able to connect with you. And please, if you've never known about this church before, grab one of these books. They are, it's all about what we do here, covers all the ministries of the church, all the things you can get involved in, and it's a really great place to get started if you want to know more. So look out for that at the back of the church. Right, in a couple of weeks' time, we are having a special Sunday. It's called All In Sunday. Uh, it's going to be just in the morning, and there won't be an evening <coughs> service. And the big thing here is we're having a guest speaker, and not just any guest speaker, we're getting the one, the only, Simon Ponsonby. Anyone know Simon Ponsonby here? Oh, he's, he deserves more than that. Simon Ponsonby is, um, is the pastor of theology at St. Aldate's in Oxford. He is the author of seven books and a phenomenal Bible teacher. Right? I have seen him many, many times. This is not to be missed, okay? If you want to really get into the scriptures and hear somebody expand upon them in a really biblical way, Simon Ponsonby is your man, okay? He dresses like a biker, speaks with a very posh accent, and has a story about how he fished out his wedding ring from a very dirty toilet. Um, I'll let him share that hopefully next week. If not, come and talk to me. Um, so we're also going to have some Millie's cookies that day as well. So, I mean, you're going to come along in the morning and there'll be special treats for everybody to have. So don't miss that. That's on the 6th of November. Next up is the cause to live for. This is the National Movement's Young Adult Conference. So if you consider yourself a young adult, and I, I understand the uh, definition for that in the movement's getting broader and broader as the generations get older, uh, but it's basically students, 20s, 30s, young professionals. This is an amazing conference to get to. And it's a conference where they have world-class worship, um, cranked really loud, all the way to 11. So if you want to get into a big Jesus party, this is the place to be. And they have some amazing speakers this year. They have Pete Hughes, uh, Tim Hughes' brother, if you're uh, thinking, I recognize that name. But he doesn't do worship. He does Bible teaching, and he is really, really good. So I really encourage you to come along for him. And then another guy called Putty Putman. I don't know what his parents were thinking, but Putty Putman, he will be there. And he is a great evangelist, quite a great Bible teacher again. Come and listen to him. He'll really inspire you. Now, if you want to get signed up for that, you can do that at the end of this service because a load of us go down together. We go in a big group. The tickets are only £35, which for a conference of this quality is a bargain. So please go to the back at the end. There'll be somebody with a clipboard waving it around going, here, here. You go and see them. They'll sign you up. Tonight, we have something else that's really special. Another guest speaker. Tonight, we've got Remy Toko, who's been a long-term friend of, the, of, the, of this church. He's coming to speak, and he does loads of work with Open Doors. And that's a missionary organization um, that works in the, all in the Middle East and out there. And he's coming to 
speak tonight. So that's a very special service, different from this morning. Please come back tonight at 6 p.m. for that. Now, it is my privilege and honor to welcome the one and only Ben Elvey to the stage, everybody. <laughs> oh, gosh. You can tell the spirit's got to Tom, can't you? Goodness me. Um, now, guys, as I'm sure you're all aware, this winter is bringing a time of unprecedented financial hardship for our city. So many people will just have to make the difficult choice between food and heating. Now, in Matthew 25, I'm going to quote the Bible, Jesus calls us to welcome in the stranger and clothe the shivering. So that's exactly what we want to do this winter. So as a church, we've got an incredibly exciting new compassion ministry, Heating the City. Boom. Look at that. Unbelievable. Um, so every Wednesday, this looks like a, a multitude of different avenues, but launching this week, every Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to open up our cafe, sort of over lunchtime into the afternoon, as a living room for our city, a warm space where people can come, connect with each other, and just be cosy. I love it. So, an incredible mission such as this, to welcome our city into our home, requires an incredible team of volunteers. You don't have to do much, you just have to be here, be a nice friendly face, show the city that we care, offer them a refreshment, super easy. So if you've got any Wednesdays or Thursdays free this winter and you wanna just show Hull that you love Hull, talk to me, talk to one of the welcome team, they'll grab the details and give them to me and I'll reach out to you. It's gonna be incredible. Get involved. Now, we have another exciting service. Tom's already mentioned two, but we've got a third one. Next week, we've, we've talked about it enough now, we've got baptisms. Are we excited for baptisms? We have 14 people signed up to be baptised next week. Yeah, how awesome is that? So good. But don't worry, it's not too late. If you still want to get baptised, or you even just want to find out a little bit more about baptism, after the service today, in the bridge room, which is sort of up the stairs, the big glass windows, We've got a baptism class, so grab a drink from the cafe, head upstairs. So that's for anybody that is already signed up to be baptised, and parents if you're a child, although the child won't be here I suppose. Um, or if you're thinking about being baptised, or if you want to get baptised next week, come along and then we can just find out a little bit more about what baptism is, what it means to get baptised, and then sort of the practical logistics of the service. So that's after this morning in the bridge room, grab a coffee first, head upstairs. Finally, as always, giving. We are a generous church because our God is so generous to us. So if you want to start your journey of generosity today, you can do that in a number of ways. You can text using the number on the screen. You can pop some cash in the box at the back, or you can do standing order, which is what most of the church do. It's super easy, and it just shows that you're putting God first in your finances. You can also, if you're a taxpayer, gift aid that money, which means we get an extra 25% from the government, which just means we get more money to do more incredible ministries like Heating the City. So I'm going to go away for three minutes now, and then Lyndon will bring our reading. There's a change in our midst 
Hello, I'm Lyndon. I'm going to read Nehemiah 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in place, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because the men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet, the prophet Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So, the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Arar, and his son Jehonahan had married the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then, and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters 
to intimidate me. Oh, thank you, Lyndon. I'm so pleased you clapped her because these are extremely long chapters, aren't they, Nehemiah, with some challenging names, let's say. So thank you so much, Lyndon. Uh, good morning, everybody. And morning to those watching on live stream too. If you've not met me before, my name's Rachel. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And we are going to be speaking on this exciting chapter today. So if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been studying the book of Nehemiah in our morning services. And for those of you who've missed any parts, of course you can catch up on the podcast, but I want to give you just a brief summary of the story so far. So Nehemiah is a Hebrew in Persia serving as a cupbearer to the king when word reaches him that the temple in Jerusalem is being reconstructed. He's very concerned as he knows there is nothing to protect the city as Jerusalem's walls lay in ruins and have done for a long time. So Nehemiah prays about this, inviting God to use him to restore and rebuild the walls. God answers his prayer, and the king not only gives his blessing for Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, but also supplies him with the materials to be used in the project. And many people, inspired by Nehemiah, join him in the work, providing money, skills, supplies, and manpower to help him with the rebuild. In spite of opposition and accusations, the wall continues to be built and as we've just heard, we hear of its completion at the end of chapter 6. Now, the title in the Bible of Nehemiah 6 is Further Opposition. As you've just seen, Nehemiah's enemies, seeing that they are very close to finish the job, do everything they can to prevent its completion. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll know that John did an incredible talk on handling opposition where we looked at chapter four. So I don't want to repeat too much of that today, but I would really recommend catching up on that on YouTube or podcast as there's much that links with today's passage too. Today, however, I want to focus on what it looks like to finish well, to finish the job God has given us despite all of the opposition the enemy throws at us. I read a story this week of a woman who followed Jesus and was known for her goodness and her integrity. And her friend said to her one day, how are you always so positive? I've never heard you say a negative word about anyone. She added jokingly, I bet if asked, you'd even find something positive to say about the devil himself. To which her friend replied, well, I admire his persistence. <laughs> I may need to take regular drinks of water today. It's just getting over a cold. But here we go. Throughout the rebuilding of the walls, Nehemiah's enemies have persistently opposed him and the work of God. However, Nehemiah is consistent in his resistance to the attacks. So we're going to look today at the lessons we can learn in finishing well through the example of Nehemiah and looking at some New Testament examples too. We're going to see how when the enemy is persistent, we can be resistant, standing firm in our calling to carry on to completion 
our God-given assignments. Now, I realised right in this talk that so many of the themes begin with the letter D. I didn't set out with the purpose of alliteration, but for those of you who love it, that's going to happen today. So the opposition Nehemiah faces in this chapter include the following, should be coming up on the screen behind me. Deception, distraction, defamation of character, discouragement, disloyalty. Wow, what a list. Any one of those could have thrown Nehemiah, of course. However, he is equipped with stronger tools, not material ones that he's using for the rebuild, but God-given spiritual ones that equip him to stand firm, overcome, and finish the job God had given him. What are they? Continuing with the D theme, they are discernment, determination, and dependence. So discernment, first of all. Discernment is the ability to judge well. In biblical terms, it's the ability to judge matters according to God's view of them and not according to their outward appearance. In other words, viewing things through a God-shaped lens. Now, we're often reminded in the Bible that God doesn't see as humans see. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We often judge by external appearance, but God goes much deeper. He sees the heart, as it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. And throughout this chapter, we see Nehemiah exercising incredible, razor-sharp, God-given discernment. Chapter 6 opens with what seems on the surface a friendly meeting, an attempt at reconciliation, perhaps. Verses 1 to 2 says this. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, the rest of our enemies saw that I'd rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So after all the hard work of rebuilding the wall in such a short time, Nehemiah would most likely have been very physically tired. And so, almost at the finish point, this offer could have been wrongly perceived. Like I said earlier, attempt at reconciliation. Maybe his enemies had had a change of heart, now the walls were almost complete. And after such intense physical hard work, the idea of a bit of a break might have also tempted Nehemiah. Often when we're exhausted, At the point of nearly finishing a job, we can let our defences down, can't we? And our discernment isn't at its sharpest. But Nehemiah sees through all of this. He says, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Alert and prepared, Nehemiah does not fall for it. He refuses to go down. He doesn't even stop working, despite their persistence in asking. And in our lives, too, opposition from the enemy often comes in the guise of seemingly innocent distractions, especially when we're weak or tired or our resistance may be thin. 
the New Testament writers encourage us to be ready to resist, as Nehemiah did. In James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So how did Nehemiah have such discernment? Firstly, we know from looking at previous weeks, we know he was a man of prayer. He prayed for four months before even starting this rebuilding project. In these times, no doubt, he learned to discern God's voice as well as present his request to him. He was listening as well as speaking. In addition, and perhaps something that's easy to overlook here, he was a man who knew the vital importance of the job God had given him. He was therefore able to see this offer for what it was, a deception and a distraction. And he wasn't going to allow anything or anyone distract him from the task God had given him to complete. It was a dangerous deception and distraction too, wasn't it? As he knew these people intended to not only lure him away from the walls, but also to harm or probably kill him. Notice also that although the walls were fully rebuilt, with no gap left in them, we are told a bit of interesting extra information that the gates don't yet have doors, which would leave them wide open to attack. Leaving the almost finished work at this point would have almost certainly resulted in disaster. Deception through distraction is a commonly used tool of the enemy. At best, it can cause us to lose effectiveness in stopping us or delaying us in finishing the work God has given us to do. At worst, it can leave us dangerously open to attack, especially when our gates are wide open, our defenses are down. Even if the distractions are good things, they are still distractions if they're not what God has called us to do. One commentary I looked at when writing this talk put it like this. It should come up on the screen. Discernment gave Nehemiah focus. He knew what God wanted him to be doing, and he did it. He wouldn't be distracted by the things that sounded good, but weren't of the Lord for him. Anyone doing a work for God must contend with a hundred different noble causes and a hundred things that might look good and be good, but they are not what they are called to do at that time. They are distractions, however appealing and inviting they seem on the surface. As most of you will be very aware in today's culture, more than ever, we're literally surrounded by potential distractions 24-7. We've spoken of these quite a lot in other talks. I'm not going to spend time on these today except to say if we're going to finish the work God has given us to do well, if we're going to finish well, we need that same single-minded focus Nehemiah had. Like Nehemiah, we need to spend time in prayer and in God's word in order to become spiritually mature and discerning. 
The writer of Hebrews emphasizes the importance of this. Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. When we first come to Christ, we're like spiritual babies. And anybody who's spent any time with babies will know that they stick anything in their mouths. They have no discernment as to what is good or bad, helpful or harmful, and rely totally on the adult caring for them to protect them. However, thankfully, they don't stay as babies very long, do they? Just for such a short time. They're not meant to stay that way. And the same goes for us as followers of Jesus. Spending time with him in prayer, in the word, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we grow in spiritual discernment, learning to distinguish good from evil. Nehemiah was totally focused on his calling and vision to finish the rebuild. He had razor-sharp discernment, single-minded focus, or another D word we might use for that is determination. I love the message translation of Nehemiah's response to his enemy's repeated attempts to lure him away from his work in verse 3. So I'll just read it from that version. He says, I am doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? He refuses to come down to the plain, or in other translations, the valley of Ono. Though they persisted in asking him four times, attempting to wear down his resolve. John spoke on that the other week. The enemy will try and wear you down with his persistence. Everyone here will be familiar with the expression, oh no. Or for those of you who were born and bred in Hull, and, uh, and as we enter this um, colder season, it's going to soon be, and uh, snare. <laughs> oh no, snow, if you need translation like my husband Andy, who's from down south. We've been married 25 years now, but he still needs me to translate sometimes. When something goes wrong, it's often the first thing we say. Oh no. I remember this being one of the first phrases my children learned. For example, if something fell on the floor and made a mess, or they spilt something, they would exclaim, oh no. The word oh no in Hebrew, actually in this passage, means grief or trouble. And as it was a valley, it was something Nehemiah would have to descend down into. But he knew that the valley of Ono meant trouble for him, so he refused to go down there. Meeting with the enemy in the valley of Ono can be seen to represent those times we listen and meditate on negative feelings or the enemy's lies which can cause us to gradually descend into the valley of trouble, of grief, or discouragement. Now, most of us, in fact, all of us, I'm guessing, will have had an oh-no response to a negative circumstance at some point or another. Oh, no, I've done the wrong thing again. I'm useless, I'll never change. 
Oh no, my kids are spiraling out of control. Oh no, they've misunderstood me and they don't like me anymore. My oh no this week, as I've spent most of it ill, was, oh no, how am I going to be able to give this talk on Sunday with a cough and a cold? Some of you will be aware, my husband and his firm went into liquidation recently, and it's very easy to go, oh no, how will we pay the bills without an income? Now, Nehemiah has lots of reasons he could cry out, oh no, in chapter 6. His enemies are seeking to harm him, defame his character, cause him to fear for his life, intimidate him, but he refuses to let them bring him down. He is determined not to let any of these things stop the great work God has given him to do. Steve Backland, an American author, speaker, and leader, says this. Nehemiah's response is a major antidote to discouragement, procrastination, fear, offense, unworthiness, and a host of other debilitating mindsets which are fueled by listening to lies. Nehemiah is saying, what I am doing is significant and must continue. I don't have time to play mind games with the enemy. My continued forward movement protects me from a whole host of distracting and damaging challenges. Notice he has a firm belief he is doing a great work for the Lord. Steve goes on to say, I remember as a young leader, I said to the Lord, I can't wait until I can do something great for you. Anybody else had that thought? He answered, instead of waiting to do something great, attach great faith to what you're doing now and it will become great. This has become a major life and leadership key that I share often. Now, God has called each of us to specific assignments in this current season. Everyone, so that means you as well. Just in case you're doubting right now what I've just said means you. The Bible teaches us so. Last Sunday, if you were here, we had the joy as a church family of dedicating two of our children to the Lord. And at the beginning of the dedication service, we start by speaking Ephesians 2 verse 10 over the children. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. However, this is truth we need to hear spoken over us every day of our lives. And I just, reading through this yesterday, I felt that really felt the Lord highlight this to me. I think that some of you really need to hear and receive that today. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. And if that's something that resonates with you, there will be opportunity, as always, for prayer at the end of the service. Excuse me. Whether our calling or what we're currently doing feels big or small to us, our decision to hear and attach faith to it will require Nehemiah-level focus and determination so that we won't have the time or the inclination to visit our own valley of Ono to discuss things with our enemies. 
I wonder, do you believe you have a great work for the Lord? It reminded me of when God met Moses. He asked him, what is in your hand? It looked just like a staff to Moses, but look what God accomplished when his power was attached to it. What is in your hand just now? It may seem insignificant to you, but know that if you attach faith to it, God can and will accomplish great things through it, through you. When my children were small and I took them to various toddler groups, one of the things parents seemed to ask each other first was, it was what, what's your name and then what do you do? And I would often hear the response, oh, I'm just a mum. Any mums here relate to that? As if it wasn't an important job at all. I often was guilty of this myself, and I often felt like I needed to add that I was also a primary school teacher, which I was at the time. As if, as if this added importance and value to my life and purpose. Knowing what I know now, I really wish I'd been ready with something like the following response. I'm caring for these little humans God has entrusted to my husband and I, made in his image and precious to him. I'm nurturing them until they can do what I can do and even more. With God's help, I believe we're raising up world changers and I'm praying that their generation will be blessed by their impact on the earth as they serve and follow Jesus. That would have been a great conversation starter or stopper, wouldn't it? (laughs) Thank you. You don't have to wait to do something great for the Lord. Attach great faith to what you're doing now and it will become great. So far in chapter 6, we have seen that Nehemiah is a man of incredible discernment who is determined to finish the great work God has called him to do. But his enemies refuse to give up. However, as the opposition and pressure on Nehemiah increases, so does his dependence on God. Let's look at verses 5 to 9 again. Then the fifth time Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. They're not giving up, are they? I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. After attempted deception and distraction, Nehemiah now has to deal with defamation of character, which can be defined as the act of communicating false statements about a person that injure the reputation of that person. Sam Ballot's um, definition begins in the way many verbal attacks do. 
as a report of what others have reportedly said. Vague accusations often sound like everyone is talking about it or a number of people are saying. Such vague words can very easily give the wrong impression. What Sambalat accused Nehemiah of was false. A popular lie may be more dangerous, but it's not truer because it's popular. We see this in contemporary culture, don't we, all the time. Imagine if there was social media in the time of Nehemiah. The contents of this letter would probably have been trending. And today's society, unfortunately, many people believe that if it's trending, it's true. During our summer series on the book of Proverbs, I did a talk on the power of words about gossip or slander and their potentially devastating effects. So I won't go into too much depth here. Again, there's a talk on the website about that. Rather, I'd like to emphasize Nehemiah's response to these false accusations. Although inwardly, these lies would most likely have caused Nehemiah much pain and anger at the injustice of them, his outward response is non-reactive short and straight to the point. Nothing like what you say is happening, you are just making it up out of your head. In other words, Sambalat, you're a liar, full stop. He recognizes that this very personal attack is to induce fear and isn't having none of it. What does Nehemiah choose to do instead? He brings it all before the God on whom he depends and prays, now strengthen my hands. Then he continues the work. Nehemiah knows he is dependent on God's strength to finish the job. Now, he could have chosen to defend himself to prove that the accusations against him were lies, but his discernment tells him that this would be playing into his enemy's hands, a further distraction preventing him from finishing the work. So often, when we're wrongly accused, we want to defend ourselves, don't we? It's our natural reaction. And I've been through an intensely painful period in my own life where false accusations happened, and so I do have some understanding of how tough this is. Why are we so keen to defend ourselves, I ask? There are really many answers to that question, and I don't want to oversimplify, But I think the overarching one I've come to the conclusion about, if we're really honest, it's because when we get down to it, we are actually more concerned about what other people think than about what God thinks. Nehemiah was focused on God's opinion of him, not man's. We see the same resolve in the life of Jesus when he was facing unjust accusations but chose to remain silent. He knew who he was. He knew what he'd come to earth to do and didn't need to defend himself. At moments like these, I imagine Jesus remembering the words of his father as he came up from the waters of baptism. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Mark 1.11 Even if we haven't been through a life experience where we've been slandered or defamed, most of us as disciples of Jesus, if we've been following Jesus for any length of time, will be aware what it's like to hear the accusations of the enemy against us. He is subtle and deceptive, 
And at our moments of greatest vulnerability, he uses every underhand method to try and whisper his lies in our ears. We need to shut down his megaphone and listen to another sound. Thank you so much, Sarah. The affirming voice of our Heavenly Father. We need to hear and know his word as it's the only one that counts. It's the truth. We need to be rooted in our identity in him as his child whom he loves and that nothing can separate us from his love. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, 31 to 38. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Mind-blowing thought there, isn't it? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I read this week that more than conquerors can mean that not only do we win the battle in Christ, but we come out with more than we went in with. That deserves an amen too, doesn't it? Like Nehemiah, Jesus was intent on finishing the work for which his father had sent him to earth. Lies and accusations weren't going to deter him. He was secure in his identity and who God said he was. Lies bother us because they misrepresent us and we deeply feel the pain and injustice. We need to know at these times that the God of justice will represent us and defend us. There's a verse in Exodus 14, 14 that both Nehemiah and Jesus would have been familiar with. It says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. We don't have time to look at the whole of Ephesians 6 today, and again, John touched on it the other week, but just wanted to say that in Ephesians 6, it's interesting that most of the armor of God provided for us is defensive rather than offensive, enabling us to stand our ground. I find it interesting that the repeated command in that chapter isn't to fight when the opposition from the enemy comes, but to stand firm. Nehemiah didn't fight or defend himself against his enemies, but he remained where he was, continuing the work. He finished well because he stood firm. In the same way, Jesus' enemies called for him to come down from the cross if he really is the Son of God. But Jesus doesn't listen to their taunts, and for the joy set before him, we're told he endures the cross. And one of his final cries is, it is finished. He's completing the work God has given him to do. Now, Nehemiah faces further opposition in chapter 6, 
which we don't have time to go into fully today, including disloyalty from his own people. He receives a message from a false prophet who tries to deceive him, and more letters of intimidation, some written by his fellow Jews, which must have particularly hurt. Despite his enemy's best efforts, however, the wall, gates and all, are completed. A wall that has laid in ruins for over a hundred years, that Nehemiah wrestled in prayer over for four months, rebuilt in just 52 days. Nehemiah's enemies knew very well that it must have been God's power that enabled him and all who helped to build the wall in such a short time. My favorite verse, I think, in this passage is verse 16. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Notice that Nehemiah worked longer in prayer initially, that four months, than the time it took to do the job. He knew the spiritual battle was far more significant than the material one. Prayer is absolutely crucial, as we've focused on several times before. So why was the job, why wasn't the job done in the hundred years leading up to that? It wasn't that no one saw the problem. It wasn't that the walls weren't wanted. Many people saw the broken walls and knew how they ruined the lives of the people of Jerusalem. But no one got past the place of just wishing Jerusalem had walls. But finally, there came a man who did more than just wish Jerusalem had walls. He grieved, he ached, he prayed, he planned, he asked boldly, he went, he fought, he encouraged, he stood strong, and he saw the job through to completion. But he also had people around him with the same kind of heart. We often have such small ideas of how God can use us. God used an ordinary man named Nehemiah to set right a hundred-year-old problem in less than two months. And that same God sits on a throne in heaven and works through you, through us, through me today. I believe that God is asking each of us today, what do you have in your hand? It may not seem like much, but with faith attached, we can, like Paul, confidently say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you like to stand and we're going to pray together. Just going to allow for a few moments of silence as we ask the Holy Spirit to come and we just reflect on what he may have been saying to us today. He's here now, he's been here all the time. He'll be speak, been speaking to you all in different ways. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Just pray, come and fill 
your people, come and fill your church. Sometimes it's helpful just to show our willingness to hear and receive from him by having an open posture, hands open to receive. Just pray, increase your presence, Holy Spirit. welcome you here. Calm each of our hearts to hear you, Lord. We're not in a rush today. We just wait upon you, Lord. praying about um, what Holy Spirit wanted to do today in people's lives, sensed a few things. Like I said earlier, I feel like there are those people here who need to hear those words. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. There is a plan and there's a purpose for your life, there might be things that, that seem like they're going dreadfully wrong, but know that God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, but he has plans. We walk by faith and not by sight. And for some of you, you can't see the thing at the moment. But God wants you just to receive his truth in, in, in faith today. That he has a plan and a purpose for you. It might be that you sense the Lord's question what is in your hand and you want to offer that however small it seems to the Lord today you want to attach great faith to it and see God do great things it looked just like a staff look what it accomplished I feel like there's loads of you those of you today who need to know that what you're doing currently is a great work. It's a bold thing of Nehemiah to have said, isn't it? He was building some walls. But he knew that it was a great work because God had called him to it. I was reminded for those of us who might be struggling with our identity, thinking, how could God use me? Um, just reminded of when the angel appeared to, to Gideon. He says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon replies, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. 
And some of you need to hear the Lord say to you today, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you feel everything but a mighty warrior. But God sees from heaven's perspective. He doesn't see things as we see them. Another example, when Samuel goes to anoint David as king, his father doesn't even have him in the room. He seems like the youngest and the weakest. He's out looking after the sheep. Man looks on the outside. God looks at the heart. I believe that God is wanting to give some of you eyes to see yourself today from heaven's perspective. And I feel like there are also those who are facing tough opposition Chapter 4 was opposition. Chapter 6 was further opposition. The same can feel like it's happening in our lives. And God just wants you to receive prayer today that you would stand firm and finish well. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it doesn't mean joy at the end of the battle. It means joy in the middle of the battle. That will strengthen you to see you through. So so I'd love to pray for the joy of the Lord to fill you today in the midst of the battle, knowing that you are already more than conquerors. So we just pray, Lord, if any of those words resonate, Lord, that you just really speak those into people's hearts today. Come, Holy Spirit. I'd just like to start to invite people to the front to pray. If any of those words resonate with you, someone will come and pray with you. Make your way to the front. Just want to thank the live stream for joining us. We're just going to move into a time of ministry now. But thank you so much for joining us today. as people come to the front it'd be great if you're not in an encounter if you're not receiving just now and you're in one of our home groups I'd love you to just come and pray for these precious people at the front today Lord ask them what they've come for prayer for and you don't need to say a lot you just need to bless what the Lord is doing it's the Holy Spirit doing the work need a lady a couple of ladies down here gentlemen here still need a lady here, please, at the front. Thank you, Jesus. We've got a, a member of... Yes, we've got a... Thank you, Ruth. more Lord if you're not at the front please keep receiving the Lord's not just here in the entire room and he's he's speaking to many of you where you are just now
just a beautiful sense of the Lord's presence in the room. Just receive from him. Could we have a guy just to pray with Tom over there? Can see the Spirit of God all over him. It'd be great if somebody could go and pray for him. Lewis as well. Great, somebody could go and pray for him. of you are not engaged it is 11:30. so if you have a child in vineyard kids it would be great if one of the parents could go and collect them this is the formal end of the service please feel free to remain here as long as you want to if not feel free to make your way to the cafe and have a drink
rushing in like a flood When my heart is as farthest When my heart is lost, I've imagined Still alone 